Let's start the show by talking about my sponsor, Paloma Verde, and their new website, PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out for all of your CBD needs. They've got the gummies, tinctures, the salves. So if you're needing anything to maybe chill you out, something to help you get mellowed out, something for your joint pain and stiffness, go over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and give them a check out. Carlos and Vanessa are awesome people. They run a great company. And if you enter the promo code FACTS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. Plus, any order over $75, you get free shipping. So, I don't know what you're waiting for. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out. Let's start the show. This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This podcast. So I am here with the Justin Campbell. What's going on, man? Oh, nothing much. How you doing, Tommy? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to see you again. Yeah. So, um, I listened to your episode a while back, and this is what got us kicked off on this, was like a lot of your experiences going through your divorce and kind of your spiritual journey parallels mine. It's not, you know, identical, but what is yeah. right. <laughs> so, um but yeah so we had a lot in common we we experienced a lot of the same things there and it, it it goes back to one of the things i always say um i've said it on twitter several times that the fastest way to radicalize a father is to put him in the family court system and uh let it, oh, let it take its toll on him yeah i could do a whole a whole episode just on that experience alone much less you know the uh the personal journey and and spiritual side of going through all that experience yeah just the the family court system in and of itself is it's as a as a father you are fucked before you ever step foot in the courtroom and then (laughs) and then the whole process of it is just a whole a giant system of more ways to keep fucking you forever like it's it's been a I'm finally in a position with that where, uh, like, I'm not having to go every month to fight dumb shit. But you know, it, for about three years, that's that's what it was. Mm. Yeah, one of my best friends dropped around ninety thousand dollars in. Um, let's see, let's see, I met a. 2006 I guess no 2005 it was when the Astros went to the World Series so it was 2005 so he dropped $90,000 in in a 14 year period trying to get custody of his daughters and I think I I spent around 12 grand during that three years between lawyer and all the other bullshit well he uh he really got to a position now his daughters are like 16 17 16, 17, 18, around that, that time or that age. So I don't really know what's going on now, but I do remember he, um, his, his ex-wife got a DUI with the kids in the car and he still couldn't get custody of them because prior to the divorce, he was working offshore and, or no, right after the divorce, he went and worked offshore because he could make more money that way. And when he started fighting for his daughters, 
it was probably like three years later, he stopped working offshore, but they were still treating him as if he was working offshore, asking who would raise the kids, yada, yada, yada. And it was like, I'm home every night. Like it's no different than any other situation, you know? And, uh, you know, the, the problem is, and this doesn't really have to do with the family court system. I don't, the, the issue issue becomes whenever you go through a divorce, um, when you're the father, you're very dependent on the mother to be semi-rational in her dealings with you. And, um, my, my first wife was, was horrible about letting me see my kids and keeping me informed on what was going on and things like that. And so when I got into my second marriage, which is the one that was such a shit show, I was married to her for eight years. Um, I can't remember a time when she wasn't having affairs. Um, and I, I stayed with her because I was so afraid that I would lose my relationship with my kids because I had three kids with my first wife. I had two kids with my second wife. So when, when everything was going down with my second wife and that marriage being as much of a fucking nightmare as it was, I just stayed in it because I didn't know, I didn't know if I'd have a relationship with my younger boys, given what I'd gone through with my first wife after our divorce. Right. And we didn't even have my first wife and I, we didn't even have like a bad marriage. We were actually really good friends. It wasn't until I left for the military that things started getting weird. And I think that was because of age, right? So, you know, I'm 21, she's 19. We have three kids and I leave, or we have two kids and she's pregnant with the third at the time. And I leave for the military and I'm gone. I, I went, um, I went through, um, basic training and then my AIT led right into that because I was infantry. So it was like 16 weeks all combined, basic training, AIT all combined together. And, uh, then I went to airborne school after that. And after that, I went to ranger school and, and so I was gone for probably six months. You have, you can figuring out holdovers and this, that, and the other. And, and so it was really during, it was, it was right at the end of basic training, the beginning of airborne school, that things really started getting like weird and started getting crazy. And, uh, you know, for a couple that rarely ever fought, you know, when, whenever we were living together, we were fighting every time we got on the phone with each other. And, uh, you know, her, her personality had changed. And I really, I really mark it up a lot of it to just how young we were and the, the inability to understand, you know, uh, low time preference behaviors. (laughs) So, (laughs) and and so I look at it and, and then I heard your story and you're talking about eight years of, of hell that you, you went through. And I'm like, yeah, eight years, eight years, is fucking a lifetime when you're in a situation like that. It'll really fuck you up. And and kind of like what you were talking about with, with going to the military, I did a lot of traveling and I was away a lot for work. Not 
not necessarily because it was a requirement of the of the job, but like my mental mindset at that time in life was I was really trying to push forward with my career. I was trying to make a name for myself in, in the industry and like I was trying to make all the money all at once. <laughs> and yeah, anytime those opportunities would come up to go to go to Louisiana and run a crew for a month or to go to Missouri to help out with uh, a project that was going on or like to, to go bounce all over the country and do these things. I had been told early on that if they offer you that opportunity and you say, yes, you set yourself up to just climb the ladder at infinitum. But if you right. say no, they don't ask again. So like, you know, you, you have to weigh early on. Do you want to, set yourself up to really make that money and to, to have that name, or do you want to just sit somewhere and be comfortable? And, and I wanted to, I wanted to make all the money and I wanted to be like at the very, very top. And so anytime something like that came up, I jumped at it and Mm. to, you know, to my own detriment ultimately, but, you know, especially short-term at that time to the detriment of my, of my marriage and, and, it, you know, in the bigger scheme of things, like, because uh, it's kind of part of what we're going to talk about is like to the detriment of my of my faith and and kind of like I, I kind of sold my soul for uh, for wealth, power and influence, <laughs> you know, and uh, while I see the value in those things, I've, I've definitely calmed down a lot uh, as I've gotten a little older. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's biblical there. I mean, what, what good is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Yeah. So my, uh, we'll get into the, the spirituality of it, which is, um, I don't know. It's really still kind of hard for me to discuss and I don't think I quite understand. I understand it completely. Because I was, my parents weren't big into church, but I went to church, right? They, we, we lived in an area that the, the church that I went to had a bus that would come around and pick us up from the apartment complex and, you know, stuff like that. And so they didn't go, but they got me out the door and, you know, there and our daycare that we went to in Dallas was run by a church, right? It was, it was, it was a church. And so my mom, I guess, was always kind of a Baptist, but my dad was more of an agnostic. He was just like, whatever, like, and I've kind of gotten to that point in my life. And that's kind of where I turned to was kind of like, I don't know. I don't know how anybody could claim to know. I don't understand the, I think the, the act of trying to be, fundamentalist or evangelical a lot of times is hubristic thinking that you have all the answers which we run into that in the libertarian party a lot um so uh so it it always just kind of struck me as odd like that that hellfire and brimstone i never got any spiritual like food i guess you would say like no spiritual gas from from baptism, from Baptist preaching, it was always left me with more questions than answers. And one thing that, that we'll, 
we can both probably attest to is what leads people like us to like libertarianism and, and these types of of ideas is this searching for truth. We're we're looking for the truth. And and we think we found the best way of finding the truth. Maybe not the best truth, but the best way of finding the truth. And so we find ourselves getting um, very evangelical in in our ideologies. And I began to really recognize, I guess in 2018, 2019, how the tenor of whether it be libertarians or Democrats or Republicans, like reflected that evangelical religious tenor. And I was just really turned off by it. And I kind of, I kind of shied away from people that talked that way because I've always found strength or the ability to say, I, I don't know led me to more knowledge than if I acted like I knew what I was talking about all the time. And so I, I really tried it is fucking hubristic as I am. Cause I am, I'm, I'm, I'm a fucking, I'm a dick sometimes. And I don't mean to be, I, I really try to be everybody's friend, <laughs> but, but I can be a dick, especially if you catch me in the wrong mood. And, uh, and I'd find myself arguing with people over things that I'm like, but do I really know that's the truth? Like, are they saying anything here that, that makes any sense. And I'd find that what was actually happening is everybody was talking past each other. Nobody was actually having the same conversation. And I see that all the time nowadays. So anyway, this, this kind of agnostic journey of trying to figure out like the truth brought me to a situation to where I was so, I don't know, iffy about any religion that any kind of religious tenor would turn me off. And then I just got to the point where it was so obvious that everything people talked about had some sort of like worship involved with it and some sort of like religiosity to it that I, I began to like contemplate like, well, is this just part of the way that humans interact? Is this just part of what we are? And and then going down that road, then I started really like kind of searching along the spiritual lines again, because I'm like, if that's just what man is and they need something to worship, I certainly don't see anything in this world that is materialistic, that man has created worth that, that energy for me. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and so that's, that's kind of why I am where I am now, even though I still say I'm agnostic. Like today I went to an Orthodox, uh, divine liturgy for the first time, you know, because I'm, I'm looking at it and going, even if it's not a hundred, hundred percent, like what I believe it's better than anything I see out in the world. Like what's out here isn't, isn't fulfilling any, any holes in my life, you know? So it's interesting. You talked about uh, when you were younger and the bus coming around and stuff. So I, I was raised in church all my life. Uh, Christened when I was a baby. My, my parents were Methodist. Um, my mom, my mom was raised Catholic, my dad Methodist. And then we went to Methodist church all through or like for literally all my life. My parents still go to the same little, little country church, uh, back home. And 
as I've gotten older and look back on it, uh, like I know that being in church every week like that kind of shaped uh, my religion a little bit. But as I look back on it, like even when I was in, a, in high school and early on in college, I don't, I don't think I got anything from the messages. Like I, I wasn't getting spiritually fulfilled. Like I wasn't not in the like scriptural doctrinal way. The, mm. the thing that I remember most about being young was youth group, was hanging out with other kids, was having conversations with them about, you know, just life in general, like not, not looking at theology, not really even like, I remember uh, sermons that would get me fired up, but they didn't get me fired up for, to dig deeper into the Bible and to understand things better. Like they got me fired up because the pastor preached on something that was like a rah-rah, you know, cheerleader type thing. Mm. And, And so that's where uh, where I am now with the spiritual journey, especially since the divorce, uh, because that, that really, and, and I'll, I'll, I can talk about that a little bit more. Uh, I didn't really talk about that in my episode, but like the, the actual, like being broken was a, an interesting uh, aspect that came out of that because that was something that I had never really thought of. But where I am, you know, where I was as a, as a young man, and in those early formidable years, it was more of a community. And now there's still the community side of it, but it's more looking for like depth, not just that surface level hanging out and having fun and, and uh, communing with people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's kind of an interesting uh, shift that I've, that I've, found through my spiritual journey and like i said like the the being broken thing like kids would talk about it in in like uh revival groups and and youth retreats and stuff that that they had this like real come to jesus moment where they realized they had been doing terrible stuff and and they were they felt like they were broken and and then come out on the other side like renewed and all that stuff and i never had that as a kid uh i mean i was a good kid for the most part and that you know it was yay good for them like and i knew those kids and like the stuff that they did wasn't anything terrible it wasn't like they you know it wasn't like they were abhorrent sinners or something that needed to be broken but if it was a true emotional experience for them that was awesome but like that was nothing that i ever had as a kid uh but as an adult and reflecting on my life and and who I was as a husband and as a father, as a manager and an employee, and just the way I treated other human beings in general. Um, I really did finally come across that, like that thing that broke me. And, and when it did, it really made me look at my life up to that point. Uh, from a different lens and it made me look at my relationship with God in a different way because mm. I had always like I, I always was religious and and I always went to church and and I always believed in God but up to that point it was kind of that superficial belief of my younger days it was the 
more of a communal thing, not of an actual spiritual thing. So then, you know, once I had that, uh, I was I really started looking at at scripture and stuff like that a lot less from a just reading it to be reading it and more of a what's the context what's the purpose what's what did the different translations say like who wrote this and where were they in in the world and in their life at the time that they wrote this that like like wanting yeah, what's to the, un- what's the epistemology of of the roots uh, yeah right I, like i wanted to understand i didn't just want to be i didn't just want to have like biblical knowledge to be able to talk about it at church or something like i wanted to actually like know what was going on and that gave me a, a deeper connection to it once i started to actually learn about who the people were and what their stories were and uh like it it, it changes it changed the way my brain was taking that stuff in if that makes sense yeah you know i think that i think that draws back to something that matt erickson has said about uh the enlightenment being a mistake and and i think if i if i can go so far as to speak for him at this point in time i think part of what he's saying is that the enlightenment created a situation in in society and in humanity where everything was intellectualized and that that's one thing that I I found that I I have issues with because I analyze things, then I overanalyze them, then I analyze them again, and you know, it never that's a that's a never ending cycle with me is because I'm always trying to compartmentalize, trying to put everything into some sort of category, right, and and use my left brain to you know file everything where it belongs, and that's not what what it is and 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 so i never i never had like i'm like you i never had one of these come to jesus moments like that's never happened to me like when things got bad i was less likely to to be faithful i was much more likely to just nose to the grindstone you know and depend on my own will and my own determination and you know, so yeah, maybe that makes hard a hard man of me, and you know, I'm able to do things that I may not otherwise be able to do. But I remember, and and you're talking about betrayal specifically. You know, the the ninth the the ninth gate of hell, as far as Dante is concerned, is is betrayal. You know, and and that's that's the depths of hell. You know, for for a reason. Because there's nothing like being betrayed. That I mean, that nothing feels as bad as being betrayed, and and so whenever I was going through that with with my second marriage and and dealing with all that betrayal constantly over and over and over again, I found that I was I would I would pray I would I would say something along the lines like okay like show me you exist. You know, like intellectually, I know all this stuff. I know the Bible. I, I know the teachings. I know all this stuff. But show me. Like, prove it. Like, make all this stop. Just prove it. Just stop all this. 
and it never happened. And that led me to being agnostic. I, it really, it did is not, not receiving an answer. Maybe it was, wasn't the answer I was looking for. Maybe that's what my problem was. You know, I was see that's that was, <laughs> that was the uh, I'll, I'll I'll be real quick with no that. go, like, you go like, ahead man as long as you the, need to <laughs> the the part of my of my story that I talked about um, on my episode was I had always prided myself in in being a very independent individual and like I believed in God and I did the whole church thing and I tithed and. Like I did what I was supposed to do as a, as a good Christian, you know, Mm. but when I prayed, it was always service level prayer. Like I never actually asked for stuff. I I asked for the stuff that you're supposed to, I said the things you're supposed to say when you pray, but I wasn't going to ask for God to help me with stuff. Like that was my job. I was the, I'm the man of the house. I'm the dad. I'm the father. I'm the husband. Like it's my job to take care of shit. Mm. And so when I hit that point in the marriage where everything that I had done to try to fix things and make it right didn't work. And I finally just like broke down and I was like, okay, like this is clearly outside of the realm of my ability to fix. Like, please fix this, fix this marriage, make it work, make it better, help, you know, heal us and, and this and like make it right. And from that point until we got divorced, it went the opposite direction. It just got worse, progressively worse and worse. And I was pissed off. I was Mm -hmm. uh, the day that I filed for divorce. uh, As I drove from Indiana back to uh, at the time I was living in Pennsylvania for work. And so as I made that drive, it was just a it was basically 13 hours of me telling God, go fuck yourself. Um, like I didn't, it didn't see, it did. It, that's something that it never broke my belief. It just broke my desire to have anything to do with it. Mm. Like, like I still, I still, even as much as that hurt, I still believed that God existed. I still believed that he was there. I just didn't think he gave a shit. And if he didn't, then why would I, and so like, you know, I, I basically said, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm done with this church stuff. I'm done with this religion stuff. I'm done with this God stuff. I'm going to take care of me and I'm never going to put myself in a position that I'm going to need to rely on him again. Like I, I won't do that. And then, um, as things unfolded, like a few weeks later, I kind of had a, so I've got it on the shelf right over there. It's called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. It's a book. Uh, it's a book. And uh, so when I was going from Evansville back up to Pennsylvania, I had stopped at what had been our house and I cleaned off my bookshelf. Uh, I wanted to take all my books with me. I don't know why, but I, I like I needed my books with me if uh, <laughs> I didn't want anything staying in her house. <laughs> so so I've got this box full of these books and I start taking them out of the out of the box and putting them on my bookshelf there in my apartment. And I come across the Gary Thomas book and it's, you know, sacred marriage here, you know, like a week and a half after I filed for divorce. I'm like, I don't need, don't need that. <laughs> don't need that shit anymore. And just like stick it up on the shelf. And uh, 
it was it was a really weird feeling because it felt like no matter where I went in the apartment that that book was staring a hole through my head mm. and and I didn't like it <laughs> uh, so I, like I went and I pulled the book off the shelf I was like uh, this is not for me and slung it across the room and it, it slid under the coffee table and I had my uh, laptop bag under the coffee table and so when I got to work the next morning and I pulled my laptop out of the bag the book fell out on my desk and uh, <laughs> yeah. so I, I was like okay you know if this is what it takes if this is what I got to do then I'll read the book and when I'm two chapters in and this has nothing to do with me or my life anymore, like the book goes in the trash and that's it. We're done. Like I'm not, I already told you I'm out. Like you can keep trying to, you know, reel me back in, but it's not going to work. So I'll give you this little thing and I'll read as much of it as I need to know that it's not for me. And then we're done. And chapter two, uh, chapter two of that book really focuses on, inflection and and looking at who you are and what your role in your relationships are and I, it it fucking broke me um like i said in my episode like i'm glad nobody came in my office that day like it was one of those dumb weird days where nobody came in to ask me anything my phone never rang i just sat at my desk and read this book and cried like a fucking baby all day but it really made me think a lot about who I was, how I handled relationships, and how I handled especially my relationship with God, because uh, that's kind of that's kind of a focal part of like your relationship with God uh, kind of stems out into all of your other relationships. If you're doing that whole, if you're doing the spirituality and the Christianity thing right, like that should really be the focal point. And if you have that good relationship there, then you have the good relationships everywhere else. And I, I you know, my relationship with God up to that point had been very uh, surface level mm-hmm. and doing the things that you're supposed to do as a good Christian and not necessarily actually being invested in that relationship. And if I'm not invested in that relationship, why would I be invested in any other? And and I wasn't. I mean, so that was that was hard. Uh, I guess it's hard to see yourself in that light. Uh, and it really makes you. I mean, for me anyway, it really made me think of things and 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 look at the way that I treated everybody else around me and and the way I treated myself and. Uh, and then as I, you know, as I kept on going hit, I, I really, I could see, I can see now that the answer that I wanted from God at the time was to fix that marriage, but that marriage didn't need to be fixed. It, it needed, it needed to burn. Uh, what God needed from me was to fix me. Hmm. Yeah. And see, here, here's what's weird with me is after after my divorce and 
I had gone through all the emotions of betrayal and anger and bitterness and all that stuff. I just like, I just shrugged my shoulders to if there's a God, like, I don't know what it is. I've never been able to find it. Like, I don't know. And, and I, I took a job driving over the road. And so pretty much when you're over the road, for the most part, you get to choose how long you're gone. You can't choose to be gone less than two weeks, but you, you can choose to be gone as long as you want to over, over two weeks. And I would, I would take off and work. I'd be gone for two to three months at a time, just living out of my truck. And I wouldn't listen to the radio. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything. I wasn't reading. I wasn't doing anything. I was just reflecting. I was just thinking like for, you know, however, what, 14, 15 hours a day I was awake. It was just me and my thoughts. And I came to the conclusion that maybe there's something out there. I don't know what it is. I've never experienced it. I've never met it. I've never been around it, but it could be, it could exist. I just don't know. And nobody can know if they haven't experienced it. And if they haven't, if they weren't there at the beginning of time, they don't know how the world was created. If they weren't, you know, if they weren't there when Jesus was resurrected, they don't know that he was resurrected. Like, and so I just came to this conclusion and that's what's kind of like guided my life. But what I found was after going through, through this, my relationship with myself improved. And then my relationship with others improved and my attitude improved and I wasn't so angry all the fucking time, you know? And I, and so I just was like, I'm happier without this in my life, you know? And it's been that way, you know, now that was 2011. So that was 10 years ago. And so it's pretty much been that way this entire time. And the only thing that has crept up on me and said, Hey, you need to look back in this direction. Like I said, is the tenor in which people talk about things and my disgust with what people have built on their own. Right? So if you learn anything from the Bible, there's this like thread that runs through every story that every time man excludes God and man is depending on man's technological breakthroughs and man's building, whether it's the tower of Babel or whatever it may be, it always ends in disaster. And I see that. I, I see that happening. I, I see that happening in our culture, in our country. And, and so seeing that, that symbolism, that, that continuing arc coming back around and watching the, you know, social media be built and AI being built and all this stuff and the negative influence that it's having societally, you know, on on a global scale says, okay, like man can't build this. I can't depend on man to build this and I can't depend on man to have the answer. And if I can't depend on man to have the answer, I need to be looking higher. And I'm not against looking higher. I'm just against acting as if I know what I'm looking at, <laughs> you know? And so, so it's, it's this, this entire, 
you know, kind of cycle in my own life where I've come around and saying, okay, like I was looking at what God is wrong before. Right. And, and so now I'm trying to identify that. Well, and I've come to the determination that even if there is no God, even if I'm, even if that doesn't exist, I'd rather be wrong and in that community than right. And in the community, you know, of man, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, Adam Patrick and I had actually talked about this. Uh, it's been a month or two ago now, but we touched on it briefly. Like if you look at what science has given us, like the, uh, the, the church of, you know, the, um, cause, because societally it is a church. I mean, the people that worship science and technology and all of this, they, they are not happy. They are not doing well. And if you look at like, like third world countries and, and underdeveloped countries and places where they don't have all of this stuff and they don't have all of this science and, you know, all of this truth as it, as it would be considered, uh, they have faith and they have community and they're, they're very spiritual. And, and you see those communities, like they are successful and happy and they don't have all of the problems that, that, you know, the religion of progress has given us. Like, mm. I mean, there is something very real about like that spiritual connection and that communal connection have way more value than all of this shit that we build and that we make and that we can prove. Like that's. Uh, Listen, uh, I'm sorry. I, I just want to interject this real quick. I listened to that. Uh, I, have you ever listened to Lord of Spirits podcast? I've listened to some. I haven't. Uh, I've heard it. I've heard it talked about a lot, uh, and I haven't, I just haven't had a chance to get into it. And I, I probably just need to. So one of the priests on their father, Stephen DeYoung, he has, um, he has another podcast and it's called the whole council of God. And he's, it, he's just walking you through the Bible. Like, I think when you look it up on iTunes, uh, on Apple, um, it starts in Luke, but, he, he has done Genesis through the Old Testament up to the New Testament, and he's going to finish the New Testament, and he's going to cycle back around to the Old Testament, and it's going to be recorded again. So it's like, but it's just loop that he's just doing, and he's just going through the Bible, constantly going through the Bible. And he was explaining uh, Paul's epistles. Uh, this was in, I think he was, I think this was in, first or second Thessalonians, he's talking about this. Um, and he's talking about experiencing the love of Christ. And he said, you will never experience the true love of Christ and the true knowledge of, of Christ's existence without being part of the church. So his, his his interpretation is if i'm getting this right and i could be getting this wrong but his interpretation is that you are you're commanded to love one another as christ loves the church because 
if everybody within the church loves one another as Christ loved the church, then you will have that kind of spiritual, like awakening to what Christ's love actually is, you know? And so it's, it's really interesting that you keep bringing up community and And so you, you brought it up like four times now. So I had to I had to interject that now because the community. See, that's that, the, that's the, an interesting thing that for whatever reason in modern society, because uh, like I said, part of my, the, this extra steps that I've taken in, in the spiritual journey was, you know, looking at, at the foundation of stuff and in, uh, in modern religion, the church has become, a building, but that was never what the church was intended to be at the, you know, in the founding of Judaism or Christianity or honestly any faith or, or spiritual group. Like church was not supposed to be a place. The church was everybody who got together. Well, the church church was the new Israel. It was it was the bride of Christ, you know. So, I mean, there's a lot more there than just, just a building. And I think a lot of that's lost upon, upon us in, in, in modern society, especially, especially Western culture. And that's why I found it so interesting to go to that Orthodox church today is because I, you know, I, I can't, my wife, my, my wife was like drilling me cause she didn't go with me. She slept in today. Uh, cause she was, she's been cleaning like a mad woman for the last couple of days. She's, she just got it in her, her, her bones that this shit needs to be done now. And I was like, okay, fine. So I, I ended up going along, but she's going to go with me in a couple of weeks. I told her I'd bring her. And, um, and, and she keeps asking me like, so, so what was it like? What happened? How did I'm like, I, I don't know. It was beautiful. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I, I, and you know, I listen to people talk about like the divine liturgy and the Orthodox divine liturgy, especially and say, well, it's just something you have to experience. And I was like, Oh, come on. It's just a thing, you know, like, but then I was there and I was like, and I'm watching the one thing I couldn't get out of my head. There were a couple of things I couldn't get out of my head, but one, one of the things I couldn't get out of my head is if there's a God, he's here this is where he would be. Like if I were God, that's where I'd want to be, you know? And then the second thing I, I kept thinking that, that I just found so intoxicating was the only word I could, I come up with it. And I was there for like, I got there at nine o'clock this morning. I left at 1145 and it seriously felt like I was there for like 45 minutes at most. Like it was, I, I was completely lost devoid of time. I had no idea what was going on. I left my phone in the truck. I left everything and I'm, I'm sitting in there. I even had somebody ask me earlier, like during the service, if I had the, uh, had the time. And I was like, I fuck no, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what time it is. It's probably 10 o'clock. I don't know, but I'm sitting there and I'm just soaking this all in. Cause I'm really trying to, they have the book that walks you through the, the liturgy and, and what they're doing. And, but I'm, as I said, I'm so analytical. I didn't want to get caught up in that because I'd just be reading the book. I wouldn't be paying attention, you know? So I, I put the book away. I was like, no, I'm not going to look at that. And so I'm just absorbing this and I'm observing and it's the, the iconography within the, the chapel. Uh, 
is interacting with the liturgy. And it's really interesting. Like I'm looking around at the icons as they're chanting, as they're praying, as they're singing. And I'm like, this is wild. Cause all this is one. Like when you walk in there, you're like, Oh wow. These are some really beautiful like paintings, you know, blah, blah, blah. And by the time it's over, you're like, all this was acting as one thing. Like there wasn't like several things happening here. It was all one thing that was going on here. And it, and it's such an interesting thing that I was like, if there's a God, this is where I'll find him. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to find him somewhere else. This is where he'll be whenever, whenever he like reveals himself to me. And so, yeah, I'm definitely going to go back because I was like, that was just even for no other reason other than that was the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen in my life. You had mentioned uh, earlier having a knowledge, but you don't want to present yourself as, as knowing uh, necessarily like what the answers are. And that there really is a high degree of experience that, that you're, especially like your individual journey, but the knowledge comes from that experience. So like, you know, I talk about my experience and what I went through and like, I know that God is real because I had that, but I can't quantifiably make that real for somebody else who hasn't had materialistically. Like how are you going to do it? Right. Right. And so there is a, my, my thing is, I'm sorry, I, I was just real quick. My thing is the people that think they can materialistically make that a reality for others are just like speaking out of total hubris. Right. And, and that's like, so, so I've had plenty of conversations with friends who are agnostic, atheist, uh, other, like other religions. And, and what I tried to like, what I try to focus on is just having the conversation and being open and honest and trying to exemplify caring and understanding, but I'm never going to push the, like what I experienced is the only, the only way to get there or that what I experienced means that I know definitively what's going to work for anybody else, because I don't, I mean, I have a good friend who's a, uh, he's a practicing pagan shaman and like, that's, that's what he, that's where he has found his spiritual connectivity to the world and the gods and whatever else. And like that works for him. And we have great conversations. And, uh, <laughs> a couple of years ago I was deer hunting and he sent me a text while I was out in the woods. He was like, uh, you get anything yet today? I was like, no, hadn't, haven't even seen anything. Uh, Cause we were going to go out uh, drinking that night after I got done hunting. And he said, do I need to get the bones out and like do a prayer for you? <laughs> I was like, you know, at this point it couldn't hurt. And so he, like he sent me his pictures and he did his, he did his thing. And 30 minutes later, a, a giant doe walks out and, and I got her. It's like, whether that had anything to do with it or not, there might be something there. And you know, <laughs> like some, and that's that's been an interesting part of my journey over the last five or six years is you know reading the Quran and studying uh, like Eastern religions like Buddhism and and Taoism and stuff like that, looking at like the pagan 
cultures and, and their beliefs and practices, especially when you consider that a lot of modern uh, like Christian traditions originated with pagan traditions, uh, mm-hmm. the celebration of Easter, Christmas, Halloween, uh, a lot of a lot of that stuff is very closely entwined, which there was a reason that the church did it that way. It, they did the, the early church did that to make it more appealing to, to get people to convert to Christianity. Actually, actually you want to hear an even better reason, which I heard talked about on, uh, by, uh, by these, these Orthodox priests. Yeah. They did it to take over. They did it to destroy paganism. They set up, they set up, um, like, like, um, memorials to the saints in old pagan on old pagan sites to defeat the, the pagans that to defeat the spirits that I was like, that's a pretty cool way of looking at it. Hell yeah. <laughs> you want to talk about the warrior King? Hell yeah. <laughs> but, and there, I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, see, I have, I do have a, I have a huge issue with the point in history where, the church became the state because that, that was not the, that was not the foundational intention of the church. Like, well, I mean, if you look at, if you look at Judea back in the day, you can't separate church and state. It was all interacted. It, it was all intermingled. Yeah. Rome was the state, but they, you know, the Judeans, they had their own courts and, in this, that, and the other that they operated within. And it was all done via the Torah and religious law. So traditionally it's, it's all intertwined in some way, you know, I don't know. Um, at this point in time, I think maybe we'd be better off if we lived in a theocracy. (laughs) At least there would be some moral center to, to the whole thing. (laughs) You may not be, you may not be wrong on that. I just, so for me personally, like I look at the life of Christ and uh, like they thought he was there to be the conquering king. Right. That was not, that was not the purpose of what he. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't to conquer your enemies on earth. It was to conquer death. Yeah. Right. And it wasn't to set up a new, it wasn't to set up a new state of Christ. It was to, uh, it was to change hearts and to kind of, to kind of be an example of what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to live and how you're supposed to be a part of those communities and create those communities, not overrun them. Uh, so that when, when the state, uh, you know, when the church started to become like the power player of the state within, uh, you know, the Roman Catholic church and going forward from there, that part kind of, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't, it's unsettling. Uh, Reed, um, Reed had talked about it in the early part of y'all's episode with uh, him and, and Adam. Okay. Some of his qualms with Christ, with, uh, with Christianity. Yeah. And what I thought was really interesting was a lot of the, a lot of the problems that he has with, Christianity um, really sounded more like problems with Christians 
<laughs> yeah, no, it is. And that's, it, no, but that's but that's actually the case in a lot of in a lot of circumstances. Um, that's what man, I was going to say. I was like, yeah, most, man, most... man corrupts the teachings. I mean, you look at what the Pharisees did with the Torah. I mean, like it's all through. And we talked about that. We're like, if Mo, he even said, if more if more Christians tried to imitate Christ, he'd be much more attracted to the doctrine. Yeah, Christianity has a huge problem with all of the uh, Christians who are running around giving giving the faith a bad name. Sounds like libertarianism. I know, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like Christianity without Christ. Something like it's almost <laughs> like that comparison has been made before, too. <laughs> oh. it, yeah, so, so it has been interesting to to delve into other faiths and, and other, other things and talk to people about that stuff because, and, and I, and like, and I know good Christians who most people would consider them to be very sound in their faith who mm. won't look at that stuff because they think they're going to like be corrupted or something like every, everything that I have read, everything that I've studied it, none of it, None of it made my faith sway in any way. It reinforced it. It strengthened it. It gave me different, a, a new depth and a new perspective. And it, like, it opens me up to everything that God has to offer in the universe. Like, C.S. Lewis, uh, later in life, C.S. Lewis really kind of touches on some of these things in his writing. And, like, you know, for somebody who's worshiping, Allah or somebody who's worshiping Buddha or somebody who's worshiping Yahweh, God, whatever. There is a spiritual connection in all of those that if it's done with the right heart and the right mind and your soul is in it, then you're serving the same purpose. It's not these, these are not competing ideas. Mm. These are, they work together to, to bind us as, as humans, uh, in, in our, you know, I mean, the Tao talks about everything is, you know, energy and we are all, we are all pieces of the universe, but we are also all the universe as a whole moving through, uh, it's the wave in the ocean. Like we're all a we are all part of the wave and and that's like that's how our spiritual journey is like me and you and everybody else that we connect with and and talk with and and have these uh just you know acquaintances with we're all part of the same thing like we're all connected and where where the world starts to break down is like what we see in modern society where there's more of a disconnect than there is that connection. And like spiritually, we should be focused on connecting more and uh, bickering less. Yeah. One of, one of the things that comes to mind whenever you're saying all this is um, there's, there's something I heard uh, again, that father Stephen DeYoung say that I found like so interesting is he said, I can't tell you where Christ isn't, but I can tell you where he is. And he said, I know that Christ like exists within the Orthodox church. Now I can't tell you 
what he's doing outside of the Orthodox church. I don't know. Like, and he's basically saying like people that are like, don't get, don't get so Orthodox that you're like the Pharisees that only Orthodox matters, you know, like understand that this, this entity we're talking about has the proponents to be able to operate outside of any boundaries that you feel like you should be able to put on him. Right. And so could he be working in Islam or, you know, Taoism or Buddhism or yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, how am I supposed to know these things? I, I, I can't make these judgments like And, and so when you're saying you read these things, I'm like, well, you're not okay. You know, you're not like reading Luciferian, like, uh, you're not trying to follow Aleister Crowley's path or something like that. You're, you're honestly just, it's just honest curiosity. And I don't see anything wrong with that, you know? Um, but I do, I do have something like, here's something I've, I've, I've contemplated and I've thought about. I think I brought it up whenever I chatted with Mark Clare. Um, so you definitely heard it if I did say it. Um, <laughs> but, um, all right. So in Genesis, the, the fall took place from eating from the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. Right. And then God took away the tree of life because if humanity would have lived forever, then they would have lived as demons because they had this knowledge. So one of the, one of the things like the Nephilim were supposedly teaching humans technology and, and these technological advances prior to humans being ready for that knowledge. And so therefore the humans were abusing the knowledge right? So you look at the way like technology exists, right? Atomic energy didn't come about until after the nuclear bomb type deal, you know, like that type thing. It's always like the, the most evil intentions that kind of like pre prequel, like better results. And so you look at how AI is being rolled out and the things that we're being told about it and, and it, and it makes you nervous. But one of the things I, I always kind of like, I kind of label science, maybe not in totality, but as, as an antichrist, because it is, it is taken away the, the need for the need for people to have reason and logic has taken away from a lot of the creativity and mysticism of, of humanity. And that's a lot of what's beautiful. Like when you read a novel and it, transports you to another time right like we talk we talk more about dostoevsky and c.s lewis and edgar Allan poe or hp lovecraft than we do about modern novelists like it's just they don't even compare you know and it's they've lost some of that that mystical kind of thinking and and walking that line and some of the best books I've ever read, some of the best novels. Um, my, one of my favorite novelists is Clive Barker. 
he never tries to explain to you where this magical world came from. He never tries to rationalize it to you. It's just there. You're just going to have to accept it. If you want to, if you want to engage in this book, that's just something you have to accept. Right. And so this, this rationalizing of everyday life has led us to a point where there, there's no, there's no acceptance of a possible mysticism on, on the, on the macro level because we can't compartmentalize it. We can't categorize it, right? We can't physically touch it and move it and put it in a file and, and know where that goes. And there have been saying things in my life. Um, I, one of the instances I gave, it was the last time I had Adam Patrick on, uh, by himself was I talk about my son who, who was born 12 hours after he was born, he started vomiting blood and he wouldn't stop. He, he went through, <clears throat> he went through the amount of blood of nine infants and you know, yeah, they use science, blood transfusions, blah, 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 but they couldn't figure out what's wrong with them. No matter how many tests they ran on them, no matter what they did, they didn't know what was wrong. And this went on for six days. And then on the seventh day he rested because that's when he stopped vomiting blood, never started vomiting blood again. That six days solid. It happened seventh day. It stopped, never started again. He's never had any more than a cold. They don't know what happened. They don't know why he stopped. It just one of those things. And it's like, all right. And it's easy if you're, if you're, if you're like programmed to say, well, God did this, then it's easy to say God did this. Now I'm not going to sit here and say I had a religious experience due to this, but I recognize the fact that it was magical, that there was something there that happened that nobody can explain what happened. Never have been able to explain what happened. And there's no amount of rationalizing or filing or categorizing that I can do to make that a logical instance in my life. And that's the only reason I never went full atheist is because there are things that I've experienced in my life that I can't explain. I don't understand. I, whether it's God or whatever the hell it is, it was way beyond anything we're capable of understanding or knowing. Right. Whatever, whatever it is and whatever you want to call it, it's, you you can't deny that it exists in yeah, some in some it way. Happened. And, it happened. Like I don't know what to tell you. Right. That's, I I had a friend in high school that uh he had a couple uh brain tumors and they were they took it, they were getting bigger. They weren't uh, chemo and stuff wasn't working, so they were gonna remove them. And when he went in to uh to have them removed when they like did the x-rays and stuff, they just weren't there. Like, they yeah. were just gone. So like they didn't, they didn't have to crack his head open and uh, you know, pull chunks of his brain out. They just weren't there anymore. And you know, like, <laughs> like they were there and then they weren't. And, and was that a God thing or, you know, was it, it's definitely something that like, there's no rational, logical, scientific explanation for why two tumors just, were there and now they aren't right like it's things happen in the world that there is something else 
touching this world of ours. And something, something's at work, like right. whatever it is, something's at work. And you can call it whatever name you want to, but it's, it's there. And you don't have to believe that it, you don't even have to believe that it does so intentionally. Like it, it may not, it may not be a conscious being, but that there's something that's definitely there. Yeah. There was, um, there's something my wife and I were talking about last night and we always call it my alien abduction. It got, seriously, it was the weirdest fucking shit, dude. Like, this is, uh, if you didn't experience it and you weren't there, it's like one of the hardest things in the world to believe, right? So, I had gotten home from over the road and I'd come home and we we're sitting out on our front porch drinking beer, all right? My wife comes into the bathroom and when she comes back out on the front porch, I'm gone. I wake up in a ditch four miles away from the house and she gets a call from the police saying they picked me up. And this was five minutes or 10 minutes, five, 10 minutes after she went to the bathroom. How the fuck I went four miles in 10 minutes barefoot. <laughs> it was just one of those weird things, man. It was like, I was just picked up and dropped off and it was like, the fuck just happened. And it's not like I could have walked off this property. This was before I have the dogs I had now. I had another dog at the time. That dog would not have let me walk off this property without him following me. Like it would, it wouldn't have happened. And it was just one of these weird things. And my wife's like, do you remember anything? I'm like, no, I literally don't remember that day at all. The only thing I know about that day is what you've told me about us sitting out on the porch. I don't remember anything. I remember waking up, like coming to consciousness in a ditch down the road, four miles down the road. Somehow I went down 800 foot of a gravel driveway and then four miles down a road in 10 minutes or less. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how I got there. I don't know what happened. I know my wife went to the bathroom and then I'm getting picked up in a police car because somebody was like, there's some random dude wandering down the road and because I, I i just got up like where the fuck am i what the hell's going on and i'm like stumbling like trying to like wave down cars like can you give me directions back to my house and you know they asked me what happened like and the best i can say is it felt like i was thrown out of a vehicle out of a moving vehicle that's the best i can give you but i don't know i don't know what happened i i know i was sitting here on the porch and the next thing i know i'm waking up out in the out in a ditch like that's it that's all i know and like what happened i don't know is it aliens is it angels is it god like what i don't know like don't ask me <laughs> like you know and so yeah there are these like weird like experiences i've seen ghosts i mean i've seen all kinds of crazy shit in my life because i've gone out looking for it you know at at certain times in my life because i've always See, I was, I always wrote, um, I always wrote fiction. So I was always interested in the supernatural and anything that was going on out there, you know? And so I would, if I would hear of something, if I would hear of a place, like there's a place in, uh, Houston called the blue light cemetery. And so it's these gases that are released from, uh, from the earth that causes this blue light to glow around these headstones but it was 
like growing up, like it was supposed to be haunted. So we would go out there at like three in the morning. It'd be all foggy and shit. And the fog would be all like blue. It'd be like glowing this blue. And you're like, wow, this is fucking crazy. Right. You know, so we would go do things like that, you know? And so looking for these experiences, looking for this supernatural experience, you know, uh, there was supposedly in, in Katy, Texas, there's supposedly what they call the witch's grave and it moves. It like disappears at certain times of year. I had a buddy of mine who swears up and down. He fucking, he's like, dude, look, I trenched through this fucking rice field. I got into this clearing and right there at the edge of the clearing where the tree started again, there was a tombstone and I took a piece of paper and I etched, I like took, uh, what he, those long chalk things. I chalked it onto this paper and he showed me this paper. It was blank. He's like, look what I got. He like, we met up at Denny's that night. He's like, look, I got it. And he pulls out this paper It's blank and he's looking at it. And he's like, I swear I just etched this an hour ago and he's soaking wet up to his waist. And it's just like, there's something happening. Like, People believe these things. I don't know where these things come from, but people believe these things. Things happen. You see things. You experience things. Especially if you go out there start to look for for ghosts, you're going to you're going to find some shit you may not want to find sometimes. But you know, it it's hard it's hard to discount the the possibility of something supernatural being out there whenever you experience things like that. There's a uh, there's an author that has written a couple books. <clears throat> I think it's uh, the Case for Miracles or something. But anyway, they 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 go around the world and find cases of what for no no other way of explaining it would be like modern day miracles. And like, that's something that uh, that we've talked about. Uh, I say we like uh, in the church group that I has have been a part of for a while. Um, we would talk about like, are we in modern society past the days of miracles because our technology has taken us to the point that it's not necessary. But then when you look at other parts of the world <clears throat> that are, uh, don't have anywhere even close to modern technology, like what we have, miracles are highly prevalent, like miraculous healings and and stuff like that happen all the time in those parts of the world and which those parts of the world also have a considerably stronger level of faith than what we do. I mean, most of modern American Christianity and, and just religion as a whole is pretty, uh, pretty surface level. Like it's, there's not a lot of depth to most, to most people's faith and the more depth of, you know, when you get out into those parts of the world that don't have the technology that do have the depth of faith, miracles are very prevalent so something's going on out there and yeah. you know it, and it there seems to be at least in some cases something deliberate that's going on i saw i saw one of the coolest things i'd ever seen today and it it took my it took my breath away it like it like literally like it was one of those moments where you witness something and you're like oh my gosh like that's crazy. You remember the story of of the of the sick man that touched Jesus's robe? Mm 
And Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? You know? So, I'm sitting here at this, at this liturgy. And they're, they're getting ready to do the Holy Communion. And they're, they're praying and they're walking around the church with the, uh, with the, with the body and blood. And, you know, doing, doing their ritual with the, um, the sacrament. I don't know. Just, I, I'm sorry. I, I kind of get lost because it was such an interesting moment. So they're doing that. Well, when I was there, I was there by myself. I, I'd gotten there before anybody else. I was, I was just sitting there listening to them pray because they do an hour of prayer before they start the liturgy. And I just wanted to hear the prayer. I wanted to be there for that. And so I, I, I sat there probably about 30, 45 minutes by myself, just listening to them pray. And, um, this guy shows up and he's, I mean, just hacking, just coughing, just, I mean, he sounds like, like cancer, like lung cancer coughing. Right. And, and you could tell that he was very much into the liturgy. He was very invested emotionally and spiritually into what was happening around him. And I kind of was like peripherally watching him cause he was like right there just across from me. So I, I could peripherally kind of keep track of what he was doing. And I was just kind of watching the way he was going through the liturgy and the way he was enjoying it. And when the, when the priest came around with the sacrament, he just kind of brushed the priest cape. And I was like, wow, like, what did that just happen? Like, are you that really like, that's real belief. You know, that's somebody that was like invested, completely invested. And actually he came up and introduced himself afterwards, um, after everything was over. He was a very nice guy, uh, spoke to him for a few minutes and he was telling me about his mom growing up Lutheran and blah, blah, blah. But, but it was just one of those moments where you're like, I just saw somebody reenact this famous story that I had heard ever since I was a kid and I just saw him do it. And I'm like, did he do it because his illness, whatever that illness is, or did he do it as a gesture of interacting with the, with the sacrament? I don't know. But in that moment, it was like, this guy really believes that he's getting healed by this. This, this is doing it for him. Something, something is happening for this guy in this moment. Yeah, it's, I think it is a disservice to discount something like that. Cause like, I know, uh, there are a lot of, you know, skeptics, especially in the libertarian community, uh, where, you know, faith and things of that nature are, are involved, but it's a ma- it would be a massive disservice to, to discount a person's like felt experience and right and deep-seated belief uh, i mean you know it's it's like arguing the semantics of the nap and and everything else like if you it's like arguing the semantics of gender <laughs> <laughs> right it, like there is a like there is a if, if a person has a spiritual connection to that thing even if you even if I look at it 
and I don't think there's any value in it. If that person is getting some value out of it, that's you do it. Like take it and run with it and God will bless it somehow. And if it's not good, you'll probably learn a lesson from it. <laughs> like you're going to, you know, <clears throat> however you choose to look at the universe through whatever spiritual lens you want to look at it through, there is something to be found in belief and experience, no matter what those beliefs and those experiences are. And, and I, I very deeply believe that. And, and I also believe that there is a God, but even if there's not, I still think there's something. Well, maybe a wife and I were talking and I was kind of, I was trying to portray what it was that I, that was going on. And I, and I, I told her, I was like, I, I really can't describe it for you. I really can't. I can kind of walk you through it. I can tell you what they did, but I can't do it in any way that justifies like what, what experiencing it is and what, what seeing it is. And, and as atheistic as she is, she's like, you know what? I could deal with some purpose on a Sunday. Like, maybe we don't join the church. Maybe we just go and just enjoy the ritual and enjoy the tradition. But there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of purpose on a Sunday. And 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 that's kind of like, all right, yeah. And it kind of gets you out of out of your routine it, it kind of gets you away from the the purpose of materialism like uh i gotta get ready to go to work tomorrow and blah 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 blah. why can't i put that off for a couple of hours why do i have to start doing that at seven o'clock in the morning on a sunday why can't i wait until noon to wash clothes and do all that you know stuff that i have to do on a sunday you know or record podcast episodes which i usually don't start recording until after three anyway on a sunday i usually try to do two on a sunday and i try to do one at three and one at seven and you know the rest of the day's my own like why not give up a little bit of my time to experience some tradition and again something that beautiful is worth seeing again and worth worth experiencing again no matter how i feel about it internally like whether i internalize it and believe it and live it out there's something about it there's something about experiencing it and then and like i said that guy like that was that was a moment that it gave me pause because i don't know when the last time i thought of that that story was but as soon as i saw it i was like that's like that guy that touched the back of jesus's robe like it was just it it stopped everything like time stood still at that moment because i'm like I'm watching and I'm, I'm just taking it in and I'm that it was just one of those things that I understood what he was doing when he did it. And all this knowledge, all this intellectualizing came through and I realized that it's not just a story that that's somebody's reality and he just he just played it out right in real time the priest didn't pause like nothing stopped nothing nothing extreme happened he just touched the priest's robe and i was like i know what he's doing 
like I, I understood in that moment. I was like, I know what this guy's doing. Wow. That's belief. That's like that. That's powerful that, shit like that. Yeah, that's what that's what really got me is like that's belief. Like beyond anything else. like that is what belief looks like. Period. I there's no other way to explain it. Like he was living that belief at that moment. Yeah, it's I wish everybody <clears throat> I wish everybody would have an opportunity to experience something like seeing that or, you know, feeling the stuff that I had felt uh, going through my whole thing. Uh, like you have to be open to it though. Uh, I think there is a, a certain level of, you have to open yourself, your soul, whatever you want to call it, your mind, you have to be yeah. open to those experiences. Like talking about the supernatural stuff. Like when you go looking for it, because it's out there in the world, it'll come looking for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember one time I was, I was driving. It was probably within the first few weeks I was driving, um, over the road and I was in Alabama. I'll never forget where I was at. <laughs> I, was, I was in Alabama on a back road. And I'm driving and it's pitch black. There's no lights, you know, it's just trees and darkness, stars above me. And suddenly out of nowhere, I don't know how to explain what it, how it, what the form was, but there was this white thing. It was like, it, 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 I, I explained it to my wife one time. And the only way I could explain it was it was a, it was a woman that was the shape of an owl. But it was obviously a woman, but there was an owl. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. And it was just this, it was like a vapor. It came up and it got, I don't know, just above the truck, maybe about 10 foot above the truck. And then it was gone. But I saw it. It came out of the ground and went up and it, and I was just like, man, what the fuck? You know? <laughs> and so you see things like that. You can't get them out of your head. You you remember those things like last when you see things like that, where it comes from, what it is like, I don't know. I don't, I don't have the capability of, of formulating a, a way of diagnosing what it is or categorizing what it is. I just know that I've experienced things like that hundreds of times in my life. Um, my, one of the, one of the, my first, my first wife, when we were dating, she had this clock, had no batteries in it. It was her great, great grandma's clock and had no batteries in it. Nothing. But every once in a while, it would just start ticking. The hands would just start moving and they would move back and forth. So it wasn't like a gravity thing where it was just being drugged down. No, it would be like down, 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 up, 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 down, 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 you know, and you're like, the fuck's happening with this damn clock, man? <laughs> you know, and she would always say, "Oh, my great grandma's visiting," and I was like, "Okay, like well, that's fine." And we were just having sex five minutes ago, but <laughs> it's kind of strange. The Cover world, your eyes, Granny. The world is strange, though. I, like, like I hunt. Uh, I have since I was a kid, so you know, spend a lot of time out in the woods, and you see things and hear things, especially early 
early, early in the morning, right before the sun comes up or mm-hmm. right as the sun's going down. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's not just the time when the animals move. Like, right. That's when everything's moving. Yeah. And, and so like you see things where there's no wind, but things move yeah. and it's like, uh, so, so then like being a hunter, I'm naturally looking for like a deer or a squirrel or something, but there's nothing over there. Just, yeah, you're looking for movement. Right. Yeah. And, and so you see movement and you're like, there's gotta be something over there. And you're like, no, there's nothing over there. No, no birds, no, no nothing. It's like, and you, but why did these, the, why did these leaves on this one bush move, but no other leaves move? Yeah. Right. And like, you see things like that out in, and, and I'm sure somebody who's a super skeptic could give a really detailed explanation of how it's the way that certain magnetic field of the earth and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. But when you, when you spend enough time out in the world and see those things enough, like there are, there are things going on that are beyond us and science can't explain them and technology can't replicate them. They, they are, they are acts of, of the universe in some some way bigger than our our little existence is that the um that 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 arch um i'm probably i'm not this is not explaining it at all is that the pareto distribution am i getting this right where it's like a lower iq middle iq higher iq you know what i'm talking about is that the pareto distribution I think that's right. I can't remember what it's called. Okay. But you know what I'm talking about? You see the memes where it has like the low IQ, the middle IQ and the high. And that's kind of how I'm starting to feel about like religion. It's like the low IQ. There's definitely a God in the middle IQ. Like, oh, there's no such thing as God in the higher IQ. There's definitely a God because the smarter people I meet all believe in God and the lower educated people I meet all believe in God. It's all the fucking normies, all the fucking middle IQ people. You know, the one, the one, the one fifteens are all like, no, like there's no such thing as this fucking God. <laughs> so that's interesting that you bring that up because historically, um, people who had a high level of faith were some of the high end inventors and, like discoverers of stuff. I, uh, I'm sure you've seen it at some point. Like there's the meme of, uh, it's a, or I don't know if it's a meme necessarily, but it's like, a an atheist guy saying, all right, well, y'all can just take your, uh, you can take your thoughts and prayers and let us have all of our science. It's like, okay, well, if we narrow that down and, and, uh, people of faith keep all of the faith-based scientists, your side's going to be running kind of lean on any of the stuff that you get to keep. Uh, Cause the, the very most creative and most uh, like highest end scientific discoveries were done by people who were exploring their faith. Like they wanted to know how God made things work and, yeah. and they dug deeper into it. So, I, I yeah. mean, that's, and I'm sure somebody will fact check me on that and, show me all of these instances where I'm wrong. And that's, I mean, and that's fine, but there are, there are plenty of, there are plenty of scientists who were not at all based in faith and, and did it strictly for science. But yeah, uh, there were a whole bunch more that, that were very much uh, 
very devout in their faith. And the reason that they were exploring it to begin with is because they wanted to understand God and his universe better. Yeah, the amount of the amount the amount of PhDs that are religious are pretty extreme. There's a lot of them. And when you start discovering them, you're like, geez, okay. Like, I know I'm not this smart. I know I'm not as smart as this guy. <laughs> like, so so my my dumbass questions probably mean nothing to him. <laughs> you know? It's like so it, it does it, it does make you wonder, you know, like I think we we've been fed like the the Richard Dawkins and the Sam Harris line so much so often that that's how all scientists think that it it, it seems odd to us but when you really start diving in I mean just look at you know Andrew of Popular Liberty for example I mean I, I'm chatting with him tonight like I probably will never speak to anybody that smart ever again. You know what I'm saying? Like that dude, I, every time I talk to him, I ask him, can I borrow a couple IQ points, please? Like just a couple, like, just, just help, help a brother out. I've drank a lot of beer in my, in my years. Like, help me out. Well, like uh, a couple of the podcasts that I do work for are uh, there. It's a couple who are both doctors. Uh, she's a pediatrician and he's an anesthesiologist. Like they're both very deeply spiritual and, and mm. like devout Christians. Like, and and a lot of people in the medical community are that like if if there was nothing to it and if it, everything was science like don't you think those people would would be the ones who are seeing that they wouldn't first? they would know they would have some idea right <laughs> so they would know better than me you know i'm just an idiot trucker that likes to talk a lot <laughs> I, I read a lot of books, but you know, I don't know shit about human anatomy or anything like that. I like the right. people who are seeing that stuff in the real world firsthand and are actually like treating other human beings and seeing the, the worst that the world has to offer as far as, you know, health and sickness go. Mm -hmm. And, and those people still have a very deep faith and belief. Like it makes me think that, we might be on to something. The only thing about human anatomy I know is my penis still works. So as long as you've got that, you're doing good. Yeah. I'm doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> Not impotent yet. So <laughs> well, hey man. Um you any closing statements? Anything you wanna lay out there before we do the plugs and everything? I I felt like I got a little preachy at times and I didn't I didn't necessarily mean to, but uh no, I think it went well. I, I don't think you were preaching at all. I think we were having a good conversation and, you know. Hopefully like people get something out of this, like especially people who are uh, on the fence or not sure, just exploring. Like, <clears throat> I'm still exploring. I don't know any of this shit, you know, for for a fact. I know what my experiences are and, and I know what the feelings I get out of the stuff I read and study are. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's an individual thing for everybody so hopefully people you know hopefully people open up to looking at supernatural spiritual you know experiencing the universe and, and taking it for what it is and hopefully they get something out of it we could all probably experiment with turning our left brain off every once in a while because you know <laughs> but uh plug away man plug plug, plug. <clears throat> i mean 
uh, at jcamp1521 is my Twitter. And then I do the fact check this podcast, which can be found on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, any of the pod catchers. Um, that's about it. Beyond that, I do a lot of work for a whole bunch of other podcasts. So you should definitely check all of them out because they have a lot better stuff to say than I do. And that's about it. <laughs> Yeah, if you if y'all any of y'all need video uh, editing done, video work done, man, get get a hold of them. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking for work. So that motherfucker, the fucking bum, sits around all day talking about God, never does the, does anything. Give him some work. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. I'm gonna stop Thanks for having me, Tommy. Yeah, for sure, dude. This was fun. <laughs>